The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. From the banks of the Charles River, we greet you this morning. From the streets of Boston, the cradle of liberty, we greet you this morning. Streets adorned by preaching statues, Phillips Brooks, William Ellery Channing, Abigail Adams, William Lloyd Garrison, Harriet Tubman, and from above the front door of Marsh Chapel this morning, John Wesley. The liturgy, music, and homily of this hour, meant to begin in delight and end in wisdom, is offered for our summer congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our regular radio community across New England on WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. We invite your responses, gifts, and participation, and especially we invite you to come and worship here with us. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We begin with words of prayer and confession. Gracious God, holy and just, with happy hearts we receive your lavish grace, loving mercy and lasting pardon. Confident of pardon, we may pray with honesty. Forgive, we ask, what we have been. Forgive our sloth in visiting and giving. Forgive our bland preaching. Forgive our easy acceptance of decline. Forgive our willing forgetfulness of our own best past. Gracious God, forgive what we have become. Help us to amend what we are. And by thy Holy Spirit, direct what we shall be. As even now we offer, during the singing of this Kyrie, our silent and individual confessions. Let us pray.
Here and now, hungry for pardon, we receive thy pardon. Here and now, desiring peace, we receive thy peace. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul, from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
let us say verses from Psalm 104, beginning with the Antiphon. How manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there. Living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you form to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their when you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord. Beloved, let us stand together as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, for the reading of the gospel lesson, and for the singing of our hymn. Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, 
receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. The church will exist until the end of time, though some parts of the church may not. Nevertheless, discrete communities, communities of common faith and common hope and common ground, communities of meaning and belonging and empowerment will continue to the end of time. Our text from John 20 identifies several abiding features of the church, of community life, as the community of the beloved disciple took shape in the early second century. Notice them with me on this happy Pentecost Sunday. In the life of this community, there is continuity between the Lord and his disciples, the life of Jesus and the lives of those who have gone over to him, gone after him. Jesus came and stood among them. 
We are not after the physics of this, but the metaphysics. There is a flow, a river of being, a somehow marvelous interlacing of death and life, of Jesus and church. Every Sunday, we marvel at this. People are here in worship, and yet they have their minds, rightly sometimes, on loved ones afar, traveling in peril, gone to God in another country. With Jesus, we learn to pray first, walk together, and save lives. In the life of this community, the connection or interlacing of the Lord and disciples is effected through speech. He said, our voice is our most personal characteristic, and it carries us as a church from the lonely continent of our personal isolation across the sea and hell of anxious separation and transplants us onto the dry shore of another person's heart and mind. That is what it means to fall in love, to experience friendship, to know forgiveness. We see this week by week in our churches, often in pastoral care. The good pastor begins and ends work by getting to know his or her people, by keeping track of them, by watching out for them, by taking the time to go out onto their own turf. In the life of this community whose birthday we today celebrate, the road sign points to peace. Peace be with you. Peace is not so much the absence of conflict as it is the awareness of love. In the life of the community of the beloved, the church, we should note there is real bodily hurt and real personal challenge. He showed them his hands and his side. Yes, this was mentioned to show that the crucified was the raised, the glorified was the ascended, but before the theology, there was the tragedy. The church was born out of hurt, suffering, defeat. Things do not always turn out well. Justice is not always done. Some things end badly. That is why they end. It is the hallmark of the church at its truest to be honest about this. Then too, the one sent sends. We are all spiritual itinerants. We change, we move, we grow, we age. In the life of this community, there is a breath of fresh air. We receive the spirit. And here, unlike, unlike in the rest of the fourth gospel, that spirit gift is tied to forgiveness with the further admonition that we are playing for keeps. People will know forgiveness in the actual living of a forgiving community. They have been forgiven. How this sudden occurrence, not recurrence, but occurrence of a word on forgiveness relates to the rest of the fourth gospel that doesn't mention forgiveness, I am not as yet sure. But I am sure that it stands out here, a beacon, lighthouse, voice in the wilderness, swan song, forgiveness. People know forgiveness by being forgiven. And if you are like most people, including me, you probably have some unfinished forgiveness projects strewn about in the basement and attic and garage of your unconscious mind. 
The utter reality, the unrepeatable miracle of days lived is here shouted at us, blasted at us. Every day matters. Every day is the last day until the next. Fortunately, to call on Paul, we are not alone. Those of us who keep silence have among us others who utter wisdom. Those of us who have no knack for healing have among us others who are natural healers. Those of us who are clumsy at insight and imagination have among us others who shine in the dark. And those of us who are all thumbs have among us others who put the X in dexterous. We have a whole body, a church, at Pentecost. So let us love our church. Let us love our community. Let us love our beloved community. For the church today is in serious decline and so truly can benefit from our love. By today's gospel, we are responsible for what has been forgiven and for what has been retained. The decline of my own beloved Methodism in the Northeast, a harbinger of similar decline coming soon to other regions, is not the consequence of the will of God, the theological defense, nor is, this the decline of the, nor is this the decline the result of inevitable demographic trends, the sociological defense. Neither is the decline due to the insuperable national and regional trends in lifestyle or commitment levels, the cultural defense. The spectacular decline is also not assignable to educational fashions, the pedagogical defense. Our decline toward death in the Northeast has been a matter of consistent, deliberate and conscious choice on the part of church leadership. It is a case of the banality of evil. Little decisions, choices, elections, selections, expenditures, repeated and reinforced over time. It need not have happened. It did. We did it to ourselves. Neither a vengeful God, nor a drop in population, nor culture wars, nor seminary curricula are to blame. We simply chose decline over health, death over life. The banality of demise is seen in its location. In every little mistaken expenditure, every little misdirected election, every misguided selection, choice, decision, budget, and appointment. We are responsible for what has been forgiven and for what has been retained. We had several excellent reasons. In the meantime, though, the body of the church lost significantly more than half of its size and aged well out into retirement years in the span of little more than a generation. We decided not to tithe at any level of church life, not to engage in the exacting discipline required to preach well, not to replenish our spirits in the vital liturgical traditions of the church. Since 1972, my beloved, the United Methodist Church of the Northeast, has displaced, offloaded, dismembered half of her people, nearly 2% a year for 30 years and more. The farther north and the farther east, the worse the numbers. Lyle Schaller's tragic prophecy has come true the denominations will gladly accept 2% annual decline in exchange for the tacit agreement that there be no significant change. We don't seem to mind dying as long as we can do it at home, in our jammies, watching TV, 
eating ice cream with pleasant pastoral read hospice care. So let us remember this Pentecost where we are, who we are, and what time it is. Today is Pentecost, the birthday of the church, as once was remembered. The church is of God and will pre be preserved to the end of time for the conduct of worship, the due administration of God's word and sacraments, the maintenance of Christian fellowship and discipline, the edification of believers, and the conversion of the world. He said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. There is a gentle, warm summer wind breathing through us today. The happy news is that a return to preaching and tithing and immersion in tradition will bring us, over time, it will take a generation, back to life. Here are some gentle suggestions as we pray first, walk together, and save lives. The mark of disciplined living in our time most needed by our churches is robust giving. The old word, a good word, is tithing. In a materialistic age, nothing testifies better to the invisible than generosity with abandon. People notice. Likewise, when the church appears to act irresponsibly with money, people also notice. In an age of entitlement, nothing witnesses better to graceful love than intentional self-abandon in regular, not occasional, giving. Steady investment in fellowship is a great joy to the giver. In an age of greed, nothing bears stronger witness to another way than another way of relating to our wealth. We have not always and consistently remembered well our inherited practice of tithing. Our current average lay giving hovers between 1 and 2 percent of income, and our current average clergy giving is lower still. More sadly, we have over, overburdened our basic ministries in the local churches by requiring not a tithe, but often more than 25 percent of income to be sent on into the remarkable elaboration of the ministries of the denomination. The power to apportion is the power to destroy. This heavy-handed ladling of required donations has most hampered growing and larger churches, which most would have benefited from the reinvestment of extra tithe resource in developing ministries of worship education and service. To equip our church for the struggle ahead, we will need to teach tithing by precept and example in season and out. In Methodism, we need to recover also our confidence about the importance of education. No denomination anywhere ever did more to support educational development than did the Methodist Church in America during its first two centuries. 128 United States schools and colleges continue to this day to honor such investment one is Boston University. More statues to John Wesley are found on campuses than in churches today. John Dempster, Methodist minister and founder of Boston University, exemplified the recognition of an earlier era to the need for education in the preparation of clergy and in education and development of the laity. Our current willingness to let semi-prepared people occupy our pulpits in large numbers is a direct contradiction of our own best past. 
When I entered the ministry in 1979, about 5% of the pulpits in our conference were held, occupied by non-elders. Today, it is 55%. 500 of the 937 pulpits in upstate New York are occupied by unordained, only partially educated ministers. You cannot run a college on adjuncts. It is far better to have one good sermon preached four times than to have four bad sermons preached one by one. Our confidence in our inherited use of circuits has disappeared. We have made a virtue of uneducated piety. But there is no such thing as piety without learning. The two go together. Then, too, we shall need to recover a love for worship that is traditional without the scourge of traditionalism, that is enchantment, not entertainment, that is God-centered, not conversation-centered. Every church both deserves and requires excellent preaching and excellent music, but especially preaching. It is the heart of pastoral ministry. It is the one thing most desired and needed in our churches. It is the single thread of consistency linking all healthy and growing churches. It is utterly difficult consistently to do well. It is more important than all of the other very important features of community life. And it was what once we were known for, our verbal endowment. I am grateful for the discipline which preaching requires. We hunger for the right handling of the word of truth. For some years, our churches have been under the sway of a kind of preaching meant to distance the church from the culture. Unlike Jesus, who ate with sinners, unlike Paul, who wrote good Koine Greek, and unlike John, whose gospel itself may be considered, to borrow from Harnack, the acute Hellenization, that is, acculturation of Christianity. This currently influ influential quasi-gospel tells us, tells us that we are resident aliens. Resident aliens. I heard this same now tired, now old phrase used again repeatedly this past week. And in it, there is some truth we must affirm, the truth of the narrow gate the truth of the straight way. But on the whole, it misses the large Pentecost, great, spirited, good, true gospel. Friends, you are not resident aliens of Boston. You are angelic residents of Boston, not resident aliens, angelic residents. Such preaching takes preachers who love both the Bible and the people, both the church and its life, both the community of faith and the culture in which it dwells. As Mr. Wesley once said, if thine heart be as mine, then give me thine hand. How shall they hear without a preacher? The cunning of the private detective, the resi resilience of the boxer 
the courage of the matador. These are the marks of speech which moves from, from peace to forgiveness, which is the preaching of the gospel. For example, we have been told recently of a governor in a far-off golden state who lived for a decade in a household where he was known as father of some, but unknown as father of another. He lived an hourly, breakfast-to-dinner, daily deception. Can your pastoral imagination begin to unwind that? Remarkable. Of course, I feel sorry for all in this situation and want the grace of forgiveness extended to all. The governor in that far-off golden state was living a double life, his deeds and their consequences all around him, utterly visible to him, but not to others until a moment of revelation. But just a minute, says the matador, the boxer, the private detective, the preacher. Just a minute. Just how many of us are utterly, completely known by others as we know ourselves? Just how many of us have metaphorical offspring whom we see but others do not? Others may not see our illegitimate offspring. I'm speaking by analogy and metaphor here, but we do. We see them at breakfast every morning. They come right by us. That's what makes the California story of some weeks ago so compelling. It's not about him. It's not just about him. It's about you, and it's about me. We see, suffer, rue, endure the presence of things about ourselves that others do not see. In that way, we are all the party pooper all day long to some degree. Hence, the dire need for the announcement of forgiveness. The gospel is that God's grace frees us and forgives us not only from what is seen, but also from what is not seen. Forgiveness frees us again to try to live the lives we hope to live and which we hope will inspire others, particularly the young. We want to love our church. Every sp spring in our denomination, we try again to do so in our annual conferences. And although we continue to fail, I find the springtime call of the Spirit utterly compelling. A conference, after all, is a chance to confer. This week I heard a saintly superannuated preacher and Boston U University graduate open his heart in eloquent confession before 2,000 others about a view of his from 1980 and 1984, which he now knows to be mistaken in light of scripture and tradition and reason and experience. This week I listened to a saintly preacher in midlife and a Boston University School of Theology graduate who has quietly spent 22 years rebuilding a tiny church into a great community. The real, messy, foundational work our era is most called to. And so July 1, after 22 years, he will move 100 miles west 
to start all over again and do the same thing in another setting. And this morning, I have the privilege of meeting and greeting the spirited congregation of Marsh Chapel, a heart for the heart of the city, and a service in the service of the city. Listen, if you will, as we end this morning to the historic questions every budding preacher answers on her way to ordination. See if these questions do not catch you up. See if they do not inspire you. See if they do not touch your heart and make you think about how best to live from this day forward. Have you faith in Christ? Are you going on to wholeness? Do you expect to be made whole in this life? Are you earnestly striving after that? Are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and God's work? Do you approve of our church government and polity? Will you support and maintain them? Will you diligently instruct the children in every place? Will you visit from house to house? Will you recommend fasting or abstinence both by precept and example? Are you determined to employ all your time in the work of God? Are you in debt so as to embarrass yourself in your work? Will you observe the following directions? Be diligent, never be unemployed, never be triflingly employed, never trifle away time, neither spend any more time at any one place than is strictly necessary. Be punctual, do everything exactly at the time, and do not mend these rules, but keep them, not for wrath, but for conscience sake. Beloved, the gospel of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, though with a scornful wonder we see her sorrow pressed, by schism rent asunder, by heresy distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping will be the morn of song. For Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, and so to us, Receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, you are welcome to follow your custom and stand, remain seated, or come forward to, the, to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together the hymn 473, Lead Me Lord.
Heavenly Father, we begin our prayer as you taught us, lifting your name above all others. You are the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We offer thanksgiving and praise to you, for you alone are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We praise your holy name. As we strive to live a life worthy of children of God, we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives. For through the gift of the Spirit, we are able to be humble, gentle, patient, loving, and peaceful. We accept and thank you for this living water. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Help us to live our lives in the most excellent way, with love. We thank you, Father, for our diversity. Help us to concentrate on how our differences complement each other rather than how they divide us. Instead of proudly comparing ourselves to others, we pray that we humbly consider how we can work together in service to you. Help us to cherish one another, for through our variety of gifts, we are united in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. We acknowledge our sins and humbly seek your mercy. We admit that we have used our gifts to glorify ourselves and not to glorify you. We have also withheld our gifts rather than to share them in service to you. Forgive us, Father, and help us to grow in our faith. Holy God, we pray for people in despair. We ask that you grant the peace of your presence to the sick and their caregivers, the unemployed and the homeless. We pray for those who are now at eternal rest and ask for your comfort for their loved ones who grieve. We pray that you abide with those in military service, guard and guide them as they perform their duties. We call on you, O God, for you will answer us. Give ear to us and hear our prayers, for we offer them in the name of the one who has ascended to heaven, Jesus Christ, and pray together as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Good morning, my name is Elizabeth Fomby Hall. I'm the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel. And I just wanna welcome all of those who have come to join us physically here in the nave of the chapel. And also I want to welcome those who might be listening on the radio or on the podcast at a later point. I also want to give a big welcome to our guest choir, Convivium Musicum, which is directed by Michael Barrett. And also I want to thank our guest um, organist, John Dunn, for being here with us today. Thank you, guys. This afternoon at 2 p.m., Marsh Chapel Choir alum, Allison Mondell, and her trio, Ia, will be performing here in the nave. Again, that's at 2 p.m., and hopefully you can join us for that. Please also take a moment um, when you get home and take a look at the website, and you'll find more information about our upcoming Summer Preacher Series, which begins on July 10th. There you'll see the schedule of our guest preachers and also their bios. Also on our website, which is bu.edu chapel, is the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
gracious and holy one, we collect and offer these gifts to you as we collect and offer ourselves in a spirit of service. Bless these gifts and grant that our work is indeed your work. Amen.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.